July 15th, the message in Oswald is going to be the point of spiritual honor. I taught about honor all night. And I'm going to probably, um, this Oswald is going to be a nice Oswald, but I'm going to take you to a different level of, of what uh, the meanings of these things are. Because the word honor is on my heart. And, and how, I'm, I'm sorry, mo most of us today lack honor. I grew up in a day when honor was prevalent. People were on honorable. They said what they meant, they meant what they said, they shook your hand, they, they did things that, that would show they, they, they cared about other people or they went out of the way for other people. And that, that, that's sad to say today in the world you guys are living in is not around anymore. I, I very rarely see anything. You know, even our law enforcement and everything else about it's not honorable anymore, you know? Everything's crooked. Everything's criminal. Everything. And, you know, I, I always love the crap that they used to say about the mafia. Well, today, law enforcement itself has become the mafia. You know, they run around here and all they care about is points to try to get them up the ladder to the next level so they can be somebody bigger, better. And so they lie, cheat, and steal to... to you know, get people put away, they manufacture evidence, they do all sorts of things to create problems for people so they can have their, you know, jobs or their, their accolades. But there's no honor. You know, and that's why they always said there's no honor among thieves. But today I think that we're filled in walking in a world that's full of thieves, people that steal integrity, steal honor, steal innocence from everybody, every minute of every day. This world's just gone to pieces. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians and Romans. Paul was overwhelmed with a sense of his indebtedness to Christ. If you stop for a moment, do you feel in debt to Christ for what he's done for you? He took you out of an ugly, nasty life, set you on holy ground and gave you chance to become something so much more and then more importantly, protected you and guided you and lead you as you were walking through the evolution of this life that you're beginning to have. He's been faithful to be right there to make sure you had everything you needed for life and godliness. But do you feel a sense of, you know, my reasonable service would be to be a living sacrifice? Why? Because what he's done for me had his son be a living sacrifice for me, that maybe I ought to be a living sacrifice because that would be my reasonable service. How I might offer up my life back to him to do, using how he sees fit to bless other people to do other things. Or, do you struggle with selfishness? Struggle with your own ideas of your own life and, and, and what's in it for you and what are you getting out of this? Is it, is it really something that that is, you know, uh, you feel complete and entire, as it says in James, wanting nothing? Or do you somehow still have a list of you think that what God owes you? Paul was overwhelmed with a sense of his indebtedness to Christ, and he spent himself to express it. This is a man, Pharisee of Pharisees, rich. Not a little bit of, had a little bit of money. Stinking wealthy. 
These Pharisees were the rich men. And he put it all aside to live for Christ. I don't know if you remember the, 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 the Onesimus, okay? And Philemon. He goes, whatever he did, whatever he owes, put it on my tab, I'll pay it. You begin to understand, this man never gave up his wealth. He just put his wealth aside and didn't care about it anymore. He made it available to do whatever needed to be done for the people. But his wealth was continuing on even to help people as they helped him to make sure they got what they needed. What are we doing with the life that Christ has manifested in us to have? Are we honoring it back to him? The great inspiration in Paul's life was his view of Christ as a spiritual creditor. I owe him. Now, I, I can say, you know, I get Paul's position. Our Father in Heaven sent His only begotten Son to clean up a mess that for 4,000 years couldn't be cleaned up. And in a matter of moments, 30 years, right? 33 years. In a matter of minutes compared to 4,000. He reinstated and reconciled all of it. That not only put everybody then, but everybody from that point forward, if they would believe he actually is the Lord, their Savior, but more importantly, their Deliverer, their Messiah, so they would stay in relationship with him, they would be saved. And I wonder sometimes, do you ever ask yourself, what's that worth? What do I feel I owe him? See, I know what I owe him. Unlike you, I don't walk around with my past on my sleeve and boo-hoo victim and this happened to me. I don't crap, care about any of that crap. What I know, I'm saved from all of that. It no longer matters. It's no longer in my thought process, ever. I never have to talk about it. I don't ever have to think about it. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have anybody to talk to me about it because none of it, what matters is what I've received, which was forgiveness so I can go on with a life and build a brand new life. In Christ Jesus. And then even in this life, the things that I've experienced and had to go through, I count as nothing because of the life I have in Christ. My complete and entire wanting nothing, no matter what I go through, it's not relevant. Including going through what i got to go through with all of you. So my creditor that gave me the benefit of this life even though I was who I was, and I did the things I did, the blood of Christ washed away where none of that was relevant. all paid for. The atonement bought and paid for it. And I am bought with that price. My life's no longer my own. It's his. What does he see fit to do with it? Well, I can tell you right now, what he's done with my life was a heck of a lot better than what I ever did with it. And every day I'm getting more and more blown away about what he's doing with it and what he's planning to do with it. And then I look at people and go, why is that not your process? Why is that not your thinking? How is it that the things of this world and the things of this life still matter? That have precedence in your thought process that frankly have no right to be in your thought process. 
as process at all because all of that was bought. It's not your issue. But why do you make it your issue? Why do you, why do you got to sell yourself to people about what you've come through and where you've been? Why, you know, you really love the Lord. Why are you selling yourself to somebody? For what reason? Who are you trying to convince? Why is it so important for you to make them understand? It's not relevant to anybody understand where I came from. If I am who I am today, that, that in and of itself wrecks people. Why do I got to worry about who I used to be? Do I feel that sense of indebtedness to Christ regard to every unsaved soul? That my responsibility is to be who I'm supposed to be to help them find this freedom too? The spiritual honor of my life as a saint is to fulfill my debt to Christ in relationship to them. That if he's given me this freedom and, and, and it talks about the consolation and, the, and all the things I've been through, my job's are then what? Go out and comfort and hope they get it too, right? To as many people as I meet, as many people I come into contact with. I want them to know what I have so they can have it too. I don't need them to know what I got because I can, I can care less what I got. They can care less what I got too. What I want to know is they need it. And frankly, from everything I've seen, ain't nobody giving it to them. We're a, we're a country full of churches doing what? Nothing. Giving warm little fuzzy messages. All the while 99.9% .9 of the congregation are actively sinning. And no one's bringing in a condemnation or conviction of them. Just like Oswald said, it's got, I mean, uh, Glenn Jackson said, it's time that I'm going to send my messengers with a butt-kicking message to kick the butts that need to be kicked. My job. Exactly who I've been since the beginning. Hellfire and brimstone preacher. Not some warm, fuzzy, tell you a nice message guy. Not that guy. Don't ever want to be that guy. That would have never saved me. I don't think it would have ever saved you. But what's funny is, I'm this hellfire and brimstone preacher, and that's not saving you either. You're still walking in your foolishness. You don't seem to understand the indebtedness to him and what he's done and given you opportunity to have. Every bit of my life that is a value I owe to redemption of Christ. So am I doing anything to enable him to bring this redemption into actual manifestation of others? Am I living in such a way that others might have this same opportunity I had to be washed, renewed, and cleansed from all my past? If I am, that's my job is to continue to do that. And if not, not you, why is that not what you're doing? You're too busy, you know, glorifying yourself? I can only do it as the Spirit of God works in me this sense of indebtedness. When I realize just what I've been saved from, do you think I'm out there telling stories? Why do you tell stories? I'm walking out there with an information of what he saved me from and looking at other people and seeing what they can be saved from too. And I'm trying to bring hope to them. Do they think they, you think they care about what I am? Do you think they care about where I come from? No, they want to know that somebody sees their problem. Somebody's going, hey, I know a God that'll save you, save me from my stuff. It's not rubble what mine is, but I know he can save you from yours. And then be able to speak the truth to them in such a way that they feel the salvation of God beginning to move in their life. I'm not to be a superior person amongst men. 
but I'm a bond slave of Christ. You're not your own, Paul sold himself to Christ by the price. He says, I'm a debtor to everyone on the face of the earth because of the gospel of Christ. But set apart for what? Separated unto the gospel. I'm separated to give this gospel to teach people about the gospel. Not about tell my story. I am free to be an absolute slave only. That means doing whatever he says. Now, does that mean he'll never ask me to tell my testimony? No. But I will promise you, 99% of the time, that's not what he's going to ask of you. Well, I guess we're so quick to do that because we like to puff ourselves up and talk about how good we are now compared to who we used to be, which is a bunch of hogwash most of the time. <laughs> that is only the characteristic of the life when once this point of spiritual honor is realized. Quit praying about yourself and be spit out for others as a bond slave of Christ. That is the meaning of being made broken bread, Daniel, and poured out wine. Interesting, huh? There's your answer, pal. Grab your scriptures. I'm going to start tonight with Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This is Paul... First and foremost, a servant of Christ called to be an apostle. Apostle is a man that goes out and begins new churches, begins new works, and then manages them by exception. Starts something new, puts somebody in charge, goes down the road. Starts something new, puts somebody in charge, goes down the road. Starts something new, puts something in charge, and then keeps running the circuit going back, making sure that everything about them is working. That's what an apostle's job truly is. But more importantly, separated unto the gospel of God. I've been set apart for one thing and one thing only. The glory of God through his word. Not because of my life. Not because, I'm going to tell you, what, what testimony did Paul have? I was a Pharisee. Doesn't sound like somebody, anybody else wants to hear that, right? This guy had no testimony other than I've turned from who I was to a bond slave of Christ. We all have a testimony. I was a piece of garbage and did all this crazy stuff and I gave my life to Jesus because I needed him to save me. Paul needed a savior just like we did. But he needed to be saved from self-righteousness, right? Well, sadly enough, many of you as you started to come out of your mess, you're needing saving from self-righteousness too. We need to get back down and realize this isn't about us at all. It's about being who we can call to be so others' lives can be changed to the glory of God. Separating who we are to His Word and His Word alone. Separating the gospel which He had promised before by His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He says, I'm set apart for what God planned before I was even part of His plan. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. By whom we have received grace, divine influence, apostleship, for the obedience to the faith among all the nations. So our obedience needs to be the faith, trusting that God's plan for us is perfect. And being obedient to whatever he's saying. 
for his name's sake, not ours. Among whom you were all called in Christ. There's no doubt we've been called in Christ, but we've been called in Christ. Not to talk about him, not to somehow bring about how we are who we are in Christ Jesus. No, we've been called in Christ Jesus. To all that be in Rome, beloved, of God called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever one of you are judging, for wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself. If you have judged, done the same things. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them that commit such things. We're sure that we're right. And think yourself, this old man that judges them that does such things that you're going to do the same that you should not, that somehow another, you're going to escape the judgment of God. You're sure you're right about them. Well, do you realize you, be, you need to be sure to be right about you too? If we knew what well, we were out there trying to, you know, I'm going to judge people, see what's wrong with them, and help fix them. Who's going to fix you? Do you not know you're going to be judged with the same measure you've judged them? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and his long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is what's going to lead to repentance? Not your story. Just the fact that he called you in the first place, and that's the goodness, and maybe he's willing to call you too. But guess what? We can both be, we can both be sinners saved by grace together. It's not going to be about, hey, I got your answer because we ain't got nothing. After the hardness and the impenitent heart treasures up unto itself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds, yours too. To them who are by patient continuance in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. That's what we're seeking after. Hopefully. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, doing whatever you want to do your way, indignation and wrath. So tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil or this evil thing. Of the Jew first and also the Gentile. But glory and honor and pray and peace to every man that works good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So remember there is no respect of persons with God. Just because you were saved doesn't mean that all of a sudden you got to get out of jail free card to go do whatever you want to go do or makes you some higher authority or more powerful or potent. We were out last night, walked up and ran into a young lady I, I recognized at Starbucks because she was from a different Starbucks. And I was clear across the room. And uh, I started walking up. I said, I recognize her. She used to work at the other Starbucks, right? I walked up, and uh, she was doing running the window. But she, come, she comes walking over and goes, hey, how the heck are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. I said, haven't seen you either. I said, how you been? Good. She goes, I said, how's, how's management going? Now, Wyatt's with me. He's thinking that I know that she went into management. No, God told me she was going into management. She goes, well, it's not going very well. She goes, I just started asking. I said, well, I'm going to pray for you because I believe that that's what God's calling you to. And I went down and sat down. He looked at me and he goes, you know, basically I started talking. He goes, I mean, you didn't know that? I said, know what? That she was going into management? 
No, I, I haven't seen this girl forever. I know what she's doing in this place. I just knew in my heart, God said, she's trying to do this. What what God had me do? Encourage her and tell her I pray for her. Do you know I still don't know her name and she doesn't know mine? I can care. Well, she knows mine because it's on the Starbucks coffee. But I mean, I mean, I don't care. You go do what God tells you to go do, when and how he tells you to do it. And God receives the glory. Now, why in all of his best thinking? Well, he must know her. He must know she's in management. And I said, I didn't know nothing. He goes, really? Yeah, really. Why did you think I knew her? Well, because you, you asked her these questions. I said, I asked those questions because God asked me to ask them. Now, what better testimony there is? Me walking in there and acting like I know this person and, and talking about a bunch of stuff that, that we both know or talking to her about something that she's got to walk back going, I never told him about management ever before in my life. How did he know that question? And how? To, but it isn't about that, is it? It's about being his. And being his mouthpiece to say what he wants you to say when he wants you to say it. And anybody that's got to have a you know, brain in their head is going to realize... I don't know this guy, and I've never told him anything before. How is it he knows these things? And then realize when I say, I know and I'm going to pray for you, it's going to mean something to them. I care about this person. Why? This person was tickled just to say hi. I was tickled just to say hi too. It wasn't, hey, what's your name again? I don't care what her name is. She's not part of my life. She was part of my life for that moment. So what's most important? In God's eyes, God's will being done. Is it not? Yes. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, none of us. All Jews and Gentiles are both under sin. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, gravestone. With their tongues they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things swear the law says, it says to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. So therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin and sin alone. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, by everyone getting to see this miraculous thing. Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Christ, unto all and upon all of them that believe. We're walking in belief and not in all the information. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare righteousness for the remission of sins, that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them that believe in Jesus. So our job is to help them come to know belief in Jesus. That's all it's about. 
It's not about anything else. Chapter 6, verse 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether to sin and to death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the, you were the servants of sin. But now you've obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Amen. To be made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of our flesh. <laughs> For as you have yielded your member servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity, and to iniquity. Even so now, I ask, you yield you, yourselves, members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit you had in those things, where now you're ashamed. For the end of those things is nothing more than death. But now, being made free from sin, and become servants unto God, you have your fruit unto holiness. And the end of this is the everlasting life. Chapter 8, verse 1. So we realize there is therefore now no condemnation to those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For, so, so what I... Want to always talk about the sin and death if I'm free from it? No. No. Wouldn't I want to talk about the fact that I'm free? Yes. And talk about this new life I have? Yes. Do, do you think being, talking about your sin and death is ever going to encourage anybody? No. The fact that you're free from whatever crap you went through, do you not think that will minister hope to them? For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he condemned it in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after that flesh, but we walk after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit are going to mind the things of the spirit. So to be carnally minded is death. For you to keep talking about Jesus all while you're talking about your carnality, is death. Be spiritually minded is life and peace to you and to those you talk to. Amen. Because the carnal mind is enmity or puts you at odds against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither and indeed can it be. So then they are in the flesh cannot, let's read that again, cannot please God. So here's my point again. Is he Lord? Because if he's not, you cannot please him. So if he is not Lord, what do you think you've got? Oswald's pretty clear tomorrow, or today in his message about, is he Lord? And this message is pretty clear about if he's not, we got nothing coming, don't we? Well, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not that spirit of Christ, you're none of his. But if Christ is in you, the body is then dead because of this sin, and the spirit is life because of righteousness. So do I want to keep talking about my funeral, my death, or do I want to start talking about my life? I tell people about my life. You know, it doesn't take long for them to take one look at me and realize I probably came from someplace that wasn't too pretty, right? But I talk about the life I have today 
and they're, they're blown away. And what do they want? They want peace of what I've got. The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by the spirit that dwells in you. Chapter 9, verse 20. O oh man, who are you that replies against God? Shall a thing formed say to him that formed it, Why did you make me this way? Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel into honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared before unto glory. So I guess for us, if he's prepared me unto glory, I need to be focused on the glory, not on me, 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 me. If I'm a vessel fitted for wrath to destruction, all you've got is you. But which one's going to bring hope to the people we need to bring hope to? You? Or the glory of God. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy, the second chances of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which, by the way, is your reasonable service, which is what you ought to do, right? Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed with the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You can prove it. To who? Everybody. For I say through the grace given to me to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. Take your faith and start looking at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19. See, for though I be free from all men, I've made myself a servant unto all that I might gain more of them. I might somehow touch their life. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, not being criminal like them or whatever, but being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain some of them that are without the law. That's where my work is. <laughs> a whole bunch of people that, that were terrible, rotten people just like I used to be, right? And all of a sudden they're going, wait a minute, you did it. I, I can do it too? Yes. To the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might, by all means, at least save some of them, right? And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker, a partner thereof with you. Know you not that they which... Run in a race, run all, but one receives the prize. So run, that you might obtain it. Every man that strives for mastery, we actually get good at something, is tempered in all things. In other words, he's had his high highs and low lows, but he's learned how to be in the middle of the road because he's just trying to get better, knowing that the more you try to get better, the more you're going to have to deal with failure, right? Yes. Right. Now, they that do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but... We are looking for an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not 
uncertainty, not, not for no reason or not knowing not why. So I fight, not as though I beat the air, but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, lest by some way, some means, that after I've preached to others, I might myself be cast away because I didn't take care of things. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. I'm sorry, chapter 1, my bad, verse 9. And we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than what we've than what you've received, let him be accursed. For do I teach now to persuade men or to persuade God? Or do I seek to please men? For yet if I was here to please men, then I guess I wouldn't be a bond servant of Christ. My job is to teach him good, bad, or ugly. What needs to be happening. Now chapter 2, verse... I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to verse 11. My bad. See, I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not after man. For neither I received it of man, neither was I taught it but by the revelation of Christ. So our job is to take that revelation of Christ and teach it now. Chapter 2, Galatians, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ, even we have believed in Christ that we might be justified by that faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, but for the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ then therefore the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I, because of the law, has proven that it is, I, I'm worthy of being stoned and be dead. But if I was left to the Old Testament, would we not all be dead? Yes. But so by the law we're dead. But I'm, according to the gospel I'm living, that I might learn to live because Christ died so I can have this life instead of being killed for, for my way of life. I am crucified with Christ, and nevertheless, I still live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that life in which I now live, in the flesh, I live it by the faith of, of, of the Son of God. You know, it says that if our faith was the faith of a mustard seed, we could tell this tree in the backyard to go jump in the ocean of wood. So I'm not counting on my faith to get me there. I'm counting on the faith that he put Christ and the faith of Christ in me. So when his Holy Spirit bears witness, it bears witness to Christ and his faith so I can become successful. What I got to do is get my faith to ultimately line itself up in a way with Christ and his faith so I can become what I'm supposed to be. Apart from that, we're going to be a bunch of broke down people for the rest of our lives in your faith. I don't want mine. I want his. And by having more and more of his faith and me having more and more faith that his faith is going to get it done, my faith grows too. And all of a sudden, I can speak things in the life and I can do things because of the faith that I have and I know that his faith has already preordained it. So I've grown in that, which we all can. I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ was dead in vain anyway. 
Chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing more than a servant, even though he might be Lord of all. But he is under tutors and governors until a time that's appointed of the Father. When all of a sudden he said, now you're old enough to take the position as Lord. Right now, you're just a kid. You need to go study. You need to grow. So even as a servant, no matter where we're placed in the kingdom, we're still always, especially in the beginning, going to be brought forth as servants until we learn the way of life according to Christ. For when we were children, we're in bondage of the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under that law. That he might receive the adoption of sons. Because now, your sons, God has sent forth the spirit into his sons, which would be us, into your hearts, Crying, Abba, Father, or Daddy. In other words, a, a true respect and reverence for who Christ really is. Look for Colossians. I'm sorry, Philippians. Nope. Let's go back here. Ephesians, my bad. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he quickened, who used to be dead, dead in your trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. We can relate. We used to be just like them. Let's not pretend we weren't. Among whom also we had our conduct in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling all the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others are now yet still. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love where he loved us, he shed his love abroad in our heart, brought us out of that mess. When we were dead in sins, he quickened us together with Christ because it was by his grace he made a way where there was no way by his grace that we might be saved. Then having raised us up together, he made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches, the huge blessings of the divine influence, grace of his kindness towards us through Christ. Because it's by grace we were saved through faith, his faith. And that, we, that obviously not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. We are his workmanship, <clears throat> created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained, that we should all walk in them. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. We've heard this from Paul several times. What things were gained to him, he counted as a loss for Christ. Yet, doubtless, I count <clears throat> all things for loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them as manure, that I might win Christ. What's, what's the goal? Winning Christ. That I might be found in Christ, 
not having my own righteousness, self-righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith, again, of Christ, that the righteousness which is of God by that faith, that I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, that I might be made conformable into His death, that He might conform me into His death, as it talks about in Romans 6, dead with Him, baptized into His death, that we might be resurrected in the newness of life, that if by any means I might attain to this resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained it or got it, either were I already perfect or mature, but I follow after, I keep following. If that I may apprehend that for which I'm also apprehended of Christ. He got a handle on me. Got a handle on you. You going to let his hand and his handle have its way? Or you going to keep kicking against the pricks? Is he Lord? If he is, you're going to let him have his way. So brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, I forget that crazy stuff from behind and I reach forward to the things that are before me. I look forward to tomorrow. New opportunities. New privileges. New, new challenges. And I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So let us, therefore, all of us, as many as be perfect or mature, grown up, be thus minded. And if any of these things somehow be someone's otherwise minded, God's going to have to reveal this unto you as well. But nevertheless, where we've already grown up and attained to, let us walk by that same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let's not fool ourselves. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. So I'm going to ask that you continue in prayer and you watch in that same prayer with thanksgiving. With all of this, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance, ability to, to speak, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in bonds. See, instead of you talking about you and your past, he wants you to speak the mystery of Christ. That I may make it obvious as I ought to speak. I might learn how to speak that I ought to speak the way God needs me to. Walking in wisdom towards them that are without, those that don't know him yet. Redeeming the time that is left. Let your speech be always with a grace, the divine influence of God, him showing you what to say. Seasoned with salt, knowing that it's the relationship grounded and settled in Christ Jesus, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, we beg you, brethren, exhort you by the Lord, that as you've received how you ought to walk to please God, so you would begin to abound that way more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord, Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even for your sanctification to set you apart, that you'd abstain from fornication or idol worship, as well as sexual promiscuity, right? That every one of you should know how to possess this vessel in sanctification 
More importantly, in honor of who? Him. Not in the lust of concupiscence, sexual or, or, or lustful passions, even as the Gentiles or the worldly people that don't know God. That no man would go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all these things, as we've also forewarned and even testified to you. God will get you. You need to stay out of that mess. For God has not called us to uncleanness. He's called us to holiness. And he's got to put his foot down. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, for nor of me his prisoner. He'll be a partaker, a partner of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Become part of whatever you got to go through. Let's all do this together and go through what we got to go through to help save lives. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before the world even began. What are we doing with it, though, right? But it is now made obvious by the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So it's become obvious to us. Chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, I want you to understand the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are His. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from this iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man would therefore purge himself from the dishonorable things, he should be a vessel unto honor, set apart, sanctified, and meet or ready for the master's use, and prepared for any good work that he has, so we might help others come to know. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. But in this, this put them in mind to, re, to put them in mind to be subject to the principalities and the powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. In other words, make yourself available for the truth in lives that God's placed there. Principalities and powers are the men of God placed in your life. To speak evil of no man, to be not brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, Serving our diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness of the love of God, our Savior towards man appeared, not obviously by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed upon us abundantly through Christ our Savior that being justified by that divine influence, that grace, we should be made heirs. Remember the heir part about being a servant until you grow up and be an heir, and then, it's, then you actually can have your place back? According to the hope of eternal life, we get to start as servants 
turned into sons or heirs, and eternal life becomes ours by adoption into the family of God. But not if we're not going to do the work that's in line with that. James chapter 4. Thirteen. Go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow we will go to such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and yet gain. <coughs> Whereas you know not what you shall be on the morrow for. What is your life? Is it not even just like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? For we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. And do this or do that. But now, rejoice in your boastings. But now, you rejoice in your boastings, all which such rejoicing is evil. You think of it, you've got all the time in the world. It says it's evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not, is to sin. So we've got these chances to know what to do. What are we doing with it? First Peter, verse, chapter 1, verse 3. So let's go back and let's bless the God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, given us this chance into a lively, a lively or living hope by the resurrection of his son Jesus from the dead. He's brought us to an inheritance, an adoption, incorruptible, undefiled, and that doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. But what are we doing to get there, right? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed this last time. So he's going to keep bringing you back to your faith and back to your faith and back to your faith till you figure it out. Why? He's going to cause you to become triumphant. Where do you greatly rejoice, though, if now be even, for a season, if you need be, you're in some heaviness through a manifold temptation. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found, ultimately, to the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, we will see him as he is because we became like him. Whom having not seen you love, and whom that you see him not, yet you Believe, and you rejoice with a joy that's unspeakable, that's full of glory. And you receive the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, by Spirit, you receive them. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. I want you to know the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men or some of us might count slackness. But he's long-suffering to us. Not willing that any of us should perish, but that all should come to repentance and turn around and get this. But the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. So seeing then that all of these things shall ultimately be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Are we not looking 
for the and hastening to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, if we're paying attention, according to his promise, we look for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, um, be diligent that you may be found of him in that peace without spot and blameless. Make sure, you know, if you're looking for these things, that you're looking for them out of righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I am writing unto you that you would sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for the sins, not ours only, but the sins of the entire world. So we can pretty much preach to anybody. Amen. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments, which we've heard a whole bunch of tonight, right? He that says, I know him, and keeps not the commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word in him truly is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him, because it's perfected. He that says he abides in him ought to walk even as he walked. Chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts him of the bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word. Let's not love in tongue, but let's love in deed and truth. And hereby we know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him because if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And knows all things. So we, is, we assure our heart before him. We check our heart with him. He lets us know. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, though, we should have confidence towards our God. We are assured. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments, we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. And he that keeps this commandment dwells in him, and Christ dwells back in you. And hereby we know that he abides in us because of the Spirit which he's given to us. So we have God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus all living inside us. We just do what we're supposed to do. Chapter 4, verse 7. So, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows him. He that loves not, though, knows not God, for God is, in fact, love. And this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And here it is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his Son for us to be with the propitiation for, the, for our sins. So, beloved, if God so loved love us, we ought then also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, and we love one another. God dwells in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us this spirit. We have seen and do testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and again, he in God. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. But herein is our love made perfect that we have a boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. We're going to become like him. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love has cast out our fear because fear has torment. And he that fears is not made perfect in love. But we love him because he first loved us. And there's your message.